0: You're at your old trusty boat, you call Mighty Sparrow, I'm in the city of Mardi Gras. Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. And we are live here on Wednesday. Uh, I believe it's sometime early in march around the 9th 10th something like that still up here in northern michigan and was hoping to have an interview but uh i'm still working on nailing that one down but uh i figure why not just pick a topic and start rolling with it cuz i want to make sure that i can get a podcast out every week just for those who Love listening to my voice, <laughs> which I really appreciate all you guys. So I think what I'd like to talk about today is um, is actually from somebody commented on one of the podcasts. I believe it was one of the trips from South Carolina to Maine or vice versa and what that trip entails. And I had mentioned uh, on one of, one of the trips I got hit by uh from what i could tell it was a microburst um kind of this crazy low pressure system that that came out of nowhere off the coast of Hatteras and um essentially right in the beginning of it i got just walloped and i it was it was strange i mean the wind was already blowing really hard but it blew for 15 minutes way up there, almost more than I've ever seen, probably the most wind I've ever seen, actually. Um, and I had to go to Bear Poles, and his question was uh, whether or not I had any any um, any control over the boat and all that sort of stuff. So we'll sort of get into that. Um, I figure what we'll talk about is we'll go through the routine of of what it's like when you're out at sea and you download the weather, and you see that you've got a system coming your way. And then what What all things I go through and checks and preparation I do, and then also dealing with the weather that's coming at you and, and some of the ways we do it. But before I get into that, I want to quickly touch on uh, the subject of MS, um, you know, The last two trips that I've been on, I've had the absolute pleasure of working with the MS Society and raising money for them. I think we, on the first trip, I believe we raised just over $6,000. And unfortunately, you know, the last two trips haven't gone according to plan, so they always get cut short. But uh, the second trip, I believe we are just under our goal of $10,000 we're somewhere in the nine, nine and a half thousand range. So we've, we've been able to raise quite a bit. And when I say we, I mean, all the people that helped me out as far as checking weather, checking in while I'm out at sea, people that helped, uh, with the preparations for the boat. There's, there's, there's not a whole lot of just, I did that in, in these trips. And I, I hope people know that and people understand that. Uh, but in any event, with the MS stuff, um, the reason I bring it up is I, I got to spend last weekend with my buddy Scott, and Scott is the whole reason that uh, I got into the whole MS thing, became aware of it. Um, I think I've mentioned it either in podcasts or uh, who knows, um, in some other areas, but basically when I left on that first trip... My friend Scott of 20 plus years, he was totally fine, everything was all good and uh when I got back from that trip, the first time I went and visited them, uh I was hit by the news that uh he got that diagnosis and for me personally, he is he's kind of the only person I know uh that's affected like that and I I think really he's the only close friend that I have that has has had sort of such life-changing earth-shattering news and and then i i mean to say that it's life-changing is is sort of an understatement but it is the perfect statement because f- you go from one day being everything's all good to the next day your 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 whole world has changed quite a bit quite abruptly and there's not a whole lot you can do and being able to hang out with scott is is always an absolute pleasure. I I absolutely love that guy. He and his his wonderful wife came up here and we had a lot of fun. We ate good food played a lot of pool. I mean, you know, just, just sort of hanging out and stuff. And I'm just so I'm so proud of him because he has maintained his positivity throughout I I I've never seen him darkened and angry or upset or depressed. I mean, you know, he's, he's just, he's that impressive of a person. And, and obviously he has the, the help of his wife and they're in it together. And it's, it really is, it's something to behold. I, I always feel so blessed to, uh, to still be included in that, that group of friends that, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to even talk about because, I you know you see you see what happens and I'm not an expert on MS by any means and uh, I wouldn't claim to know at all what it's like um I know Scott and I have talked before about sort of the the similarities that or the parallels that go along between solo sailing and sort of what he's going through with with MS. And I, I've always said, you know, you're out there and you are not the one who's in control of what is happening to you. And it's the same with uh with what he's going on. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of control day to day of what it's going to be like and how how he's going to feel and all that. And it is in a lot of ways, it was sort of the same out at sea, but, but the big difference is that no matter how far away I get from land, I can always turn back and then get back on land. And, and my adventure and my, my worries and my troubles are over as far as dealing with a environment that is in total control and switches on a whim and you don't know what's going to happen. And, and Meanwhile, I get back on land and Scott's still out there at sea, you know, so to speak. And to be able to to have the character and uh, to, to just keep going and, and not just fall off, fall off the edge of the planet uh, when you're in that sort of situation is it's so it's so impressive to me. It really, really is. And, you know, I, if I were to be honest, I don't know how I would be able to handle something like that. And so it, it just, uh, I don't know. It's something I just wanted to I guess get off my chest a little bit because it, it's hard. It's hard to watch. Uh, you know, it's been years now and he's doing really well, but you know, you know that, that there's something wrong there. And, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a scary thought. I try not to get into thinking about that too much. Um, you know, if anything, I like to try and, and spin it a little bit and kind of use it as a bit of a motivator because I mean, not to get morbid or anything like that, but the ride ends for everybody at some point and it never ends when you expect it to. And I would assume that typically it comes before you want it to. And knowing that and knowing what can happen, uh, while we're on this ride of life, so to speak, is, uh, I think it's, it should be a good motivator for going out and living the sort of life that you want to live, doing the things that you want to do and, uh, and sort of taking some of those chances and not being afraid. Um, you know, I used to, when I was younger, I would always I would always prod myself by saying, you know, I don't want to have, I want to have as few regrets in the end as possible. Uh, you know, when I'm older, I don't want to be asking questions like, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I would have done that, or maybe if I would have tried that. And I think that's, that's bled obviously into my life, uh, doing some of the trips that I do. And, you know, that, that's definitely a good little motivator, but, I think as you get older, now that I'm in my 40s, so midlife crisis time. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I I don't have enough money to go and buy a Corvette. <laughs> that used to be the, that used to always be the thing uh, back in I guess the 80s. That was the sign of the midlife crisis. You go out and buy a Corvette, <laughs> a red one. Hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think as as I've gotten older. Uh, that idea of of your own mortality does does sort of creep in, but I I don't think it has to be a bad thing. I think it can be sort of spun in a way to snap you out of, and I'm talking about myself personally. It snaps me out of thinking, oh, I don't know, it's, I don't know if I want to try that or you know i'm not i'm not good enough to do that and and i'm not going to take that risk or i'm not going to go talk to that girl or or any of that sort of stuff because you know when it's over it's over and you got that one chance to to go out and really hook it up and and try and try and do the best and whether you succeed or fail i don't think that really matters um you know i was i was asked one time about when i finished what, or what was uh, he was asking if the last day how great it felt and if that was the best day uh, I've ever had on the trip and absolutely not um, the final day of these big trips when you return to land I mean there's there's a lot of things to look forward to there's pizza there's beer there's people there's girls there are all sorts of stuff to look forward to not being dirty and filthy and having fresh water all that sort of stuff uh but at the same time that's also the the end of the adventure and that is always always tough to deal with because you go from one form of living which is 100% goal set and purposeful and then you you finish that up and then all of a sudden you're a blank slate again, which in some respects can be good, you know, new beginnings and all that. But in other ways, I personally find it pretty hard, uh, sometime to, to sort of reacclimate. So I know I'm sort of wandering now, <laughs> uh, in thought, but I suppose that's, that's okay. Um, but I, you know, I think the, the whole thing with, uh, with my buddy, with my buddy Scott, you know, he's, he was just he was so great on this last trip every single morning without, without fault. He always texted me. Uh, it was pretty much the same, same thing starting my day morning, dude. (laughs) And then we'd, we'd have a little text chat for a few minutes and I always look forward to it. And, um, I don't know, man, it just is, it's really, really nice to know that, uh, I've got a friend like Scott and, um, and yeah, I just want him to know. I don't know if he'll he'll ever listen to this or not, but uh real proud of you there, bud you keep it up. you're an absolute inspiration to me and uh and that's that's part of the reason why i I get up in the morning and get going and and try not to uh try not to slub around too much, although I do slub around quite quite a bit these days uh it's hard when you're a writer, that's sort of what you do but uh not that i'm <laughs> not that i'm like a big writer i am trying to write another book to self-publish on amazon i don't think that qualifies as a uh, as a writer although although i will say and i've actually got it right here um <laughs> there was an article about the book that went out in yachting world in june of 2021 and uh I contacted, I knew they were thinking about doing one and I sent them a bunch of stuff and I never saw it because I don't have a subscription to Yachting World and I'm not on land all that much. And, uh, I would just check the online version cause they give you some of the highlights. Um, and I never saw anything. And so I finally reached out after a year. And said, or almost a year, and and just asked him about it, whether they killed the story or or what. And he actually sent me the the PDF of it, uh, which was really cool. I may try to uh, upload this onto the Patreon page or something, maybe. I don't know, but it's it was cool. the the It's a lot of excerpts from the book and a few pictures and stuff, but more than anything, the the intro paragraph was an absolute, I mean, hairs standing up on my arms. Uh, I would read it verbatim, but I, I don't really want to do that right now. Um, but it's great. I mean, it's flattering beyond belief, and it hits on, you know, doing this stuff unsponsored and just getting on with it and not not trying to... to shout to the world what you're doing and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I will say the one thing I do want to say on it is it is now in print and, uh, let's see, I got to get my little light here Uh, so I can see, uh, the one part that I was absolutely, absolutely astonished by because I never really knew, and I'm assuming they must've done some, some work, um, but he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, despite lack of support from any bank account but his own, Jerome succeeded, Jerome succeeds in becoming the first solo American to circumnavigate nonstop from an American port in a boat of 32 feet or less, which I guess <laughs> there's a few caveats in there. Uh, you know, I don't know if, uh, I, I've never heard of any other boats uh, that have, done a solo nonstop from a United States port. Um, so I don't know, just one of those things. It was really great to read that. It's always nice to, to have somebody like the book and stuff. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's just pretty cool. So all that being said, MS society. Oh, and I am, uh, last thing on the MS stuff, we are really close to the $10,000 goal. And, uh, I know a lot of you guys out there support me and that's really, really cool. Uh, and I'm not asking you to support anymore because you just, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but I am just going to mention that I'll, I'll put a link to the fundraising page on there. We're just shy of the goal and the fundraising page is open until I think September. Cause they keep those things open for a year. And I don't know, I'm kind of hoping, uh, I'm hoping to be able to, uh, to reach that goal for, for them and everything. So I'll put that in the, uh, I'll put a link for that in the description instead of the, uh, the Patreon page. So, okay. We're going to pause here for a second and, uh, we're going to return for, uh, the old storm stuff. Okay. We are back. So storms, bad weather, all that good stuff that happens out at sea and trying to deal with it, uh, alone out there. Uh, and you know, honestly, it really doesn't even have to be alone. Um, I would say I have been through some pretty, pretty rough weather and, on, on deliveries with other people and, uh, it's pretty much all the same, uh, as far as going through the only, the only advantage you really have with, uh, more than one person is that you don't ever really need to leave leave the boat completely up to its own devices while you go and try and get some sleep. Uh, although I have had to stay up pretty late sometimes. Um, I think the longest I've ever stayed up was like forty, forty-two, 42 or 46 hours or something like that. But that, that was because I was getting close to land, uh, near the Falkland islands and I was pretty delirious after that one. But in any event, um, so, Let's just take you through it. Uh, what what basically happens? So let's say let's say I get up one day. I'm out at sea, maybe middle of the Atlantic, and I pop open the computer, plug in the old sat phone, and download the weather. And what comes up is uh, within about two two days or so. Let's say yeah, two days out. There's a, a nice little front coming through, and let's say the wind forecast is up into the high 30s, gusting up into the 40s. That's pretty bad weather. Uh, It's not going to be fun at all. But the thing about a forecast like that, when you see it, you, uh, or at least I typically think, okay, well, this is two days out, so this could get way worse. It could change direction a little bit, um, it could completely peter out, and it could just totally be a bad forecast. I've seen just about every variation of that when I'm out at sea, and um, there's been times where I'm looking at the, the current conditions according to the computer screen, and they are way off of what's actually happening out there. So there's there's a few things to think of. You can't just see sort of a storm coming and freak out and completely put all your trust into that forecast. So again, you, I always sort of treat that as it's it's the tool. But knowing knowing that I'm going to get bad weather in two days, uh, essentially what I'll what I'll end up doing is start. I will start to get ready uh, as far as the boat goes and doing doing all sorts of checks, which we'll we'll sort of get into. But I also know if there's weather coming in, I'm going to be probably downloading the weather at least once a day until that weather gets there just to be on the safe side. Typically when I'm out there, I might download the weather once every four or five days. Um, sometimes if I'm in the trades, I'll do it maybe once a week, but it all sort of depends. So I've got this forecast. That's when I start to, uh, kick into gear as far as up in the ante on all the boat checks. So normally every day, typically in the mornings, I do a pretty routine, uh, check of everything on deck and, uh, you know, looking for pins or ringdings or little bits of chafe, um, anything that might be going on that, that could potentially, uh, turn into sort of a big problem. Now, if I know heavy weather is going to be coming, I'm pretty much going to uh, double or triple those efforts to really make sure everything is bulletproof. So everything, little lashings, I'm going to look at those, try and find any bit of chafe. Um, With the sails, I'm definitely going to look over those a little bit more. I know a lot of times things that you think are permanent on a sail, for instance, the reefing lines, Not the ones that actually pull the sail down, but the ones uh, that go through the little reefing cringles and have a little line that that comes so you can tidy up the sail. Um, I've had that happen before where those lines are pretty well chafed through. I didn't really see it until I had to put the reef in, got everything going, and I'm lashing all the the bundle of, of loose sail up and trying to shrink it down around the boom. And I go to tie the thing and the line just basically completely comes apart. And when that sort of stuff happens and it's blowing really hard, then you've got to deal with it while while you're in those conditions. Because that's the real goal for me is to prepare the boat in a way that once the weather gets really bad, I don't have to leave that cockpit. Uh, or I don't even have to go into the cockpit. I could stay down below and ride things out there. To get to that point, you really, really have to make sure every last little lashing, screw, bolt, and nut are all tight. Nothing's loose because on boats, I don't know if it's just the vibration or the motion. Um, but basically, they're always sort of working themselves loose. I find screws and and bolts that that loosen up, and I've seen uh, cotter pins that that slowly, slowly make their way out, uh, and and it'll have like a little ring ding or something on the end of it. But I've seen it where where there's enough pressure where the ring ding starts to deform and then actually gets clipped off and shears right off. So. Uh, it's, it's looking for all those little things. And so also I think with the sales, one of the big things is, is really, really having a good, good look at it to make sure you don't have any little tears that might turn into big tears because it's, it's pretty common. I would say to, to have little itty bitty scratches and things like that in your sales. Um, so always keep an eye on those. And it's amazing what just uh, a couple of couple of layers of some sail tape and some acetone can can prevent um, in those sort of situations. Because again, it's it it all comes down to I don't want to have to change out my mainsail when it's blowing forty five knots and I'm in essentially a gale. That's that's when I want to know that everything is going to be okay. The boat is running solid and I know that I've checked over as best as I possibly could. That's that's sort of the, the game plan of it. Um, with with some of the other things like Mongo. Mongo, the, the wind vane luckily is pretty much a maintenance-free sort of uh, sort of thing. I will typically make sure that I have a second wind blade pretty much ready to go at a moment's notice. Uh I've only had that happen actually once where a wave broke that was completely completely parallel or perpendicular to the normal wave train. So I was riding these waves uh running with this this storm and just an oddball wave came out of the I think it came out of the north or something like that and when it crashed over the cockpit, it hit that wind blade, uh, on the wrong side and, and it just took it right off. I mean, whoosh, sheared it off. And I, I remember the boat sort of going out of control cause I was down below uh, sleeping. It was obviously middle of the night cause it always happens then. And suddenly the, the sails are luffing and all that sort of stuff. And I get up there and, uh, and I look and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's gone. Wind blades. And you know, I I typically keep about 5 or 6 of those on the boat um and and material to make more of them so um which leads me into sort of having having ready some of the spares and and things that you might need really quickly to to replace with um and that goes for little things like ring dings or split pins or things like that um but typically uh typically uh having having maybe an extra block or two um on deck and and all this stuff I'm keeping down below but instead of keeping it stowed where I normally would, I like to sorta almost have a uh a little storm shelf so to speak where things like the extra wind blade uh a few extra parts um typically a nice long length of line, maybe a couple different sizes, shackle or two, something like that, ready to go in one spot that I know I can grab and get to very quickly without ripping anything apart, and then grab it and go on deck and do whatever I have to do. So having sort of that little emergency thing uh, is good. As far as the ditch bag and the flares and the eperb; those are always stowed on the boat in a certain spot. That's easily accessible. Um, so none of that changes. I, I don't like to go into uh panic mode, so to speak, where, where you're, you're, you know, readying the life raft and the storm hasn't even come. Um, cause there's typically with that sort of stuff, you've got your game plan already in place and you're not, I mean, I don't, I don't stow my life raft down below or anything like that and only pull it out when, when bad weather comes, it it sits up in the cockpit, um, pretty much all the time. So, so having, having that stuff already, you've already got your game plan with your safety gear. So that's all good. Um, and then down below, one of the things that I typically do is I try to imagine if the boat were turned completely upside down what would what would happen and you know obviously things like cushions and my bunk um all the bedding and and things like that would would tumble around there's no way I'm really tying any of that stuff down but that's all soft stuff um so I don't really have to worry too much about it you know it can it can bounce around a little bit but when you start considering other things like books on the shelf. Um, I have a Sailrite sewing machine, which weighs like 70 pounds. If that got thrown, uh, that would be pretty bad. So that's typically stowed in a position where it can't get thrown out of wherever it's it's in. Uh, so it's sort of really locked in. With the books, I typically actually put like a, a sort of a, a piece of wood in front of them that sort of locks them in and uh, the other one is floorboards. I know on Sparrow there's only three big floorboards uh, that that access or that open up so that you can access the water tanks, and the water tanks are held in place. Whether or not this is actually going to prevent them from from falling out, I don't know, but it's held in place with some some uh, some strapping. And then the big one is I put planks of wood, basically two by fours underneath the cabin sole on either side so basically before the water tank could fall out of there, it would have to rip the entire floor out, which on on sparrow there's just no way that's gonna happen um so it could go completely inverted Now the only thing that could happen is those big hatches would would pop open so those I have have a system where I just can basically Uh, take a a big three-inch bolt, and I already have the holes pre-drilled there, and I could just screw that, boom, boom, and now all the floorboards are screwed and bolted in. They're not going to pop up, and one of the big things about that, besides having huge heavy pieces of wood flying around the boat and possibly hitting, you know, the portholes or something like that, it really is to ensure that the bilge itself stays free of debris um, so that that bilge pump won't ever get uh, clogged up. And I typically try and keep that bilge nice and clean. Um, I like to run a lot of water through it uh, when I'm on land, cleaning it out and stuff. And out at sea, maybe I'll probably end up going and just doing one, one quick check and making sure everything is uh it's all free of debris and stuff because that's the the last thing you want is I don't know you get you take a monster wave or something like that and for whatever reason one of the the companionways open or something and and you end up sh- shipping like 50 gallons or something like that right onto the boat cuz it can happen in one second and now all of a sudden you go to fire up your bilge pump and it's not uh it's not working because it's all jammed up. So that's that's sort of a nightmare scenario because then, amongst everything that's going on and the waves and the wind and all that, now you've got to try and be down below working on this stupid little bilge pump, um, and that's that's not what you want to be doing. You wanna you want to know that thing is working, and so you've you've tested that system. And a lot of times, I'll actually go and I'll I'll take uh I'll take like a five gallon thing or. or not a five gallon, like a one or two gallon bucket and um, grab some salt water and dump it into the bilge. Make sure that that uh, bilge pump is working and working well. And uh, just to be on the safe side, because you don't want to, you don't want to click it on and find that it's not actually working. Um, and that, that actually also, I guess, leads into uh, batteries. And again, this isn't really something I do, I would do for every storm because I, I, keep those batteries lashed and screwed down to the point where I'm pretty sure the boat could go inverted and the batteries would not, uh, would not move. Um, but it's always worth just giving it a look, check it out, make sure there's no corrosion going on. Nothing's happening. And, uh, and just give them a little bit of a shake because the batteries, you lose that battery system, you lose the power, you lose the bilge pump, you get that snowball effect. Um, so those are, those are some of the, the checks down below and also just any, any cabinet doors. I know on, on Sparrow, on a lot of boats, um, you know, you have those sort of self locking drawers and, and cabinet doors where, you know, you, you have to push it closed, and it sort of has its own little mechanism. There's a bunch of different ones to lock them. I actually doubled them up. So, it has those little brass sort of fittings where you close it and, uh, I don't know, it just pinches it and it holds the door closed. I also added the little old-school hook with um, a little hole in it so that you can you can actually latch it like an old-school, like you'd find on like an outhouse or something like that. I've got one of those on every single drawer and every single cabinet on Mighty Sparrow, and the reason is it's it's not going to open up when you have that. And, and it's doubled down. Cause that again, you get tossed around hard enough and things can start flying around. And that's when your portholes are in danger or you're in danger. Um, I, I know when I got knocked down the second time in the Pacific, the nav station had, I think I had, had gotten a little lazy with with how how I was locking everything in. And the nav station has a nice little compartment. Um, and I have just have a little piece of wood that I slide back and forth. Um, and everything was, was pretty much in Tupperware containers and then behind that wood in this little compartment. And um, when I got knocked down, the wave hit that side of the boat and stuff shot out of there like a gun. I mean, it was crazy. And it was, it was stuff, uh, like dividers and parallels and all that sort of stuff for navigation and having that stuff shoot around. Some of it's pretty sharp. So it's definitely a bit on the dangerous side. So always making sure every last little thing that you can lash down and, um, and keep in its place. That's, that's just absolutely crucial. So little teeny little things and any, any shelves, that have stuff on them that, that they might get thrown around. I mean, I've done that where I have one sort of, I don't know, I guess it's a neat little bookshelf, but it's not, um, it's not in like a cubby. It's basically just a, a wood little shelf and the the books slot in from the top. And I know if, if heavy weather's coming, I'll, I'll take all those books and stow those, uh, in somewhere where, Again, if I'm getting rocked and rolled really, really hard, they're not going to go flying around. That's that's really the key. I think I think on deck it's all about making sure there's no wear and tear, everything's in its place, and everything is nice and clean and clear. And down below, it's it's really essentially locking everything up so that nothing's going to move around and get tossed around or get displaced from where it should be. And that essentially is what I'm looking at. And so that's kind of what I would do preparing the boat wise. And again, it's not something you do in a hurry. You want to take your time with it. I typically have sort of a checklist in my head, but I find it very useful to sit down with a piece of paper and write out a list, think of all the things check all those off because you're going to constantly add to that list while you're, while you're doing these other things. Um, so that, that definitely helps. Um, other than that, uh, I think really it, it starts to get into, okay, so what are we going to do storm tactics wise on the boat? And what are we going to need to do that? And so for me, it's basically with Sparrow. I keep things absolutely as simple as possible. So things like sea anchors and drogues, I don't have them. I know they come in handy. Uh, I know people. Matt Rutherford, he he definitely loves loves having those. He thinks I'm crazy for not having one. Uh, but I I prescribe to that method of uh, keeping things absolutely absolutely simple. If I'm in those situations, I don't want to be dealing with lines. I don't want to be dealing with dragging things. Um the the one thing that I do have is I have about a 200 foot uh line that's I think it's like inch inch and a half or inch and a quarter hemp rope, like old school, three strand, you know, it hurts your hands when you you mess with it. Uh I do have that and I've always kept that ready for in case I needed to slow the boat down. Because ideally, what I've found is you're you're trying to keep the boat at a certain speed in certain conditions. If you're going too slow, and this is assuming that we're running with the storm. If you're going too slow, the waves start to, to come on board and hit the cockpit because you're not getting away from them you start going too fast, things get out of control, the boat gets really squirrely and um, you you lose sort of control there. So if you're going too slow, obviously you just got to put up a little more sail. But if you're going too fast, yeah, I mean, dragging something, but a drogue, I don't know. A drogue, I feel like is has so much resistance on it. Um, but again, I don't know because I've never used one. So I am sort of speaking out of my ass here uh, a little bit, but it's it's the idea of having that much power um, pulling in the reverse direction. I don't know. And plus Mongo, he's down there. I know I've heard plenty of accounts where the boat comes off of a wave and the line gets slack. And then the line, the drogue line wraps around the wind vane or something like that. And then the next time it loads up, it just rips everything to pieces. And that's a reality that I don't ever want to have to face. So what I choose to do is work with just the boat, whether it be running with the storm, four reaching into the storm, hove to in the storm. Those are all sort of my, sort of, those are my weapons in my my arsenal. And I guess to just go down, down the list, if if it's advantageous, and I want to go in the same direction as the storm, I typically will. I mean, if I can, I love running with the storm just because it takes the sting out of the air. By that, I mean, because you're moving with it, you're sort of chipping away at the actual wind speed that you're feeling. Going with the waves is far more pleasant than going into it. Uh, It's a lot easier on the boat. But it can also get pretty out of control if, if the boat is going way, way too fast and you're really just losing the ability to contain this wild beast as it, as it surfs the waves. Now, fortunately, Sparrow has never, knock on wood, uh, has never really had any big, big problem Uh, besides when the odd waves come from different directions, she, she will surf and surf and surf all day, every day. It's absolutely amazing. And she'll do it with just the triple reefed mainsail up, you know, up to in the, the high 40 knot range. I can just run like that as it gets up into the fifties. Then, then I typically go with, uh, just the storm jib and I just have it sheeted completely in the center. It's teeny. This thing is so small. It's crazy. Um, but I sheet it in the center. So it's not, it's not eased out or anything like that. It's pretty much just the pressure that's on the mast. I only have that little blade of sail up there so that if, if the, the boat does sort of try and turn, uh, up across the wind, the wind is hitting that little bit of sail and forcing that bow back down. And, essentially that's almost like being bare poles um i would think when the winds get up in the 60 70 80 knot range and i <laughs> i don't know if i've ever experienced anything quite like that i mean the microburst eh, that one got pretty crazy but it was only 15 minutes but i being in a massive force 12 storm which i've never been in um i can only imagine that bare poles would be enough if you're running with it to keep that boat moving really fast. And, uh, but who knows, I'm speculating, so I don't really want to do that. Um, the other two options that I typically have are going hove to or fore reaching. And those are actually sort of pretty close to each other, uh, in my playbook because, Sparrow, I can't get Sparrow to actually come to a complete stop, and you know ideally if you're if you're hove to perfectly as far as I understand it, the boat is actually not really it's making like a quarter of a knot of boat speed in a forward direction. The vast majority of it is side slipping, but you're keeping the boat at about a forty five degree angle to the wind so. The waves, when they hit, uh, the boat is being hit at its strongest point up in the bow. It can handle riding up and then going back down without crashing too hard. Um, you know, if you're if you're going too fast, like fore reaching, let's say you're fore reaching, but you're doing it with more sail up than you need, and so your boat speeds up in the three or four knot range. And I know that. <laughs> We're definitely talking about a specialized uh, kind of boat here when when you're saying fast is four knots um <laughs> uh, but essentially you start to launch off of the waves and when you come back down you know if you've if you've got a flat bottom boat you're feeling that for sure and if you've got uh, a big bowsprit like I have uh you find that you can actually damage it a little bit but um for reaching is nice because. If, let's say, you, you need to keep some distance between you and the nearest continent, that's pretty good. You want to be able to maneuver. Uh, and that one, again, in heavy, heavy breeze, I'm going to have the smallest storm jib I have, and I'm going to have my triple reef mainsail. Um, I do have on board a old tri-sail. And it's pretty heavy-duty sail. The only problem is the tri is the same size as the triple-reefed mainsail, if not a little bigger. And so I long ago sort of gave up on the idea of a tri just because the way you got to rig it and all that sort of stuff seems, it seems like it's not a waste of time because there are some advantages. I mean, if you really wanted to go crazy, you could, you could remove the boom and the mainsail and stow that down below or lash it on the deck and then put the trysail up. And, uh, and then you're, you know, if, if you've got huge breaking waves crashing over the boat, I mean, that pressure on your mainsail lashed down to the boom is absolutely tremendous. And you can definitely break a lot of stuff. I mean, the other thing is you disconnect the, the aft end of the boom from the topping lift and lower that down and lash that onto the deck uh, while it's still connected to the mast, but you're you're lowering down a lot of area where waves can hit, and then you put the trisail up but regardless i'm I'm going off on a tangent there i I find that having a mainsail that's got that really, really deep reef, and I mean, when Sparrow has a third reef point in, I'm pretty sure a laser uh mainsail is bigger <laughs> or at least maybe the same size. So imagine a laser mainsail pushing Mighty Sparrow down waves at 15 knots. Uh, It's always been pretty funny to me. Uh, But then so so running with the storm that's what I would always do if I could. Uh for reaching is if I need to maneuver and I need to go up against it. And or if things are just too absolutely out of control, uh, I know John Kretschmer, he talks about for reaching as his sort of end all be all. Um, there have been instances where things are getting a little too out of control, surfing the waves. And so he'll turn into it and, and for reach. And he talks about still getting knocked down and taking a real beating and all that sort of stuff. Um, cause you're going into it. But again, that beating is happening to the bow of the boat and the boat is really, really good at, boats are so strong when they're put in the correct position, which is at an angle going into these waves. You know, you wouldn't want to go straight into the waves because you're going to drop off the backside, but if you've got a little bit of angle going, you ride them up and you stay connected and you ride them down. So a lot of, a lot of the uh, storm tactics that I sort of developed on the big trip around the world really did come from, uh, John Kretschmer's book, uh, sailing a serious ocean, which I think is a must have on any boat. I know I've said that before. Uh, and then the other one is hove two and hove two. I typically, I typically really use that as, as, my tactic for dealing with a storm that's not going in the right same direction that I want to go, and if I go hove to and I wait it out, that storm's going to pass me a little faster than if I was running with it, and I'm going to at least be able to hold my position until the weather changes. And um, and I also use it too, if I'm really really fatigued and I just. I I've just had it and I need to get some sleep or I need to eat or I just need a break. On this last trip I found myself in that situation a few times, mentally just wanting to take it easy and uh and just just hit the pause button so to speak as, as much as you can when you're out there on the ocean by yourself. Um, but yeah, basically I just backwind the tiny little storm jib. I've got the triple reefed mainsail up and sheeted in a little bit. Um, I I typically will arrange Mongo in a way where instead of Mongo trying to hold the tiller in the center, Mongo holds the tiller as far down to leeward as possible. But Mongo's still functioning because we are moving forward. The wind blade is still there. And I've found that works pretty, pretty well. I've never actually had to disconnect Mongo and then lash the, the tiller and rudder hard over to, uh, leeward. I've never actually done that before. Um, so, uh, I've just never found it It really needed to happen. Now again, Sparrow won't stop. I think I get her down typically to about a half a knot, uh, which it, for all intents and purposes is pretty stopped. I've the one thing is I'm not creating that slick of, of calm water because a boat, if a boat is just side slipping through the ocean, it, it creates this slick and, uh, it's almost like an oil slick directly upwind of you. And I've seen it. I've seen it done in, I've seen it in pictures and on movies and stuff, uh, or not movies, but, um, where have I seen that? I don't know, maybe YouTube videos, but in any event, uh, if you can create that slick, then you have a better chance of sort of calming the breaking waves as they're, as they're coming down on you. I I've heard from people, they swear by it, but again, I can't get Sparrow to really heal (laughs) quite as much. Uh, and who knows, you know, maybe I, every time, every time I end up doing it, I always play with it a little bit. I, I, I'm, I'm never, ever, I think going to be at a point where I feel like I know a whole lot about sailing. Um, I think I know a decent amount, but there, I, there's way more that I don't know than I do know. So I think that's something always keep in mind. So those are the three sort of storm tactics and that's, that's when the weather, uh, sort of comes in now I guess to jump back just a little bit leading up to, let's say, let's say now we we've gotten through that day. We did our prep. We made our lists. We did our checks. Um, we we put together sort of our little spare parts kit and all that. The deck now is completely clean. Uh, I typically don't keep any superfluous things on deck um, like extra lines and uh boat hooks, cushions up forward. I will typically have sail bags that have sails that are completely saturated with salt. Uh, I keep those on the foredeck, and sometimes there'll be two or three of them, but um, if, if bad weather's coming, those all get uh, stashed right down below. As far as uh, coming into coming into the day of or the day before bad weather is coming. I'm typically going to download the weather again, do my next look, okay? It's still coming, it's still the same. And um now I know, okay. By tomorrow it's going to start blowing, it's going to start blowing hard. What am I going to do then? At that point, um if I know it's going to be like a 24 hour or 36 hour sort of weather system, so I'm going to have to spend at least at least a day and a half dealing with it, and then another half a day dealing with the aftermath, which is typically just a lot of a lot of sloppy waves and, and uncomfortable sailing. Um, at that point, I really try to focus on getting a couple good meals in, um, and then also getting some sleep and getting some rest. Now, I'm not saying you just slough it off and say, well. Uh, I don't have to do any more checks or this or that. And the other thing, um, you know, you're still going to probably go over everything one more time as this thing approaches. But in reality, if you sit there and you worry and you keep checking the weather and you keep checking that and then you worry some more and you wonder if this, I mean, there's a certain amount of that that I guess can be good except for maybe checking the weather. Cause once you check it once, you sort of know what's coming. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is sitting there and worrying about what's going to happen or what could happen does you absolutely no good. It's actually really detrimental, I think, when you're out there, especially alone. You're going to deal with any situation that comes up the best you can. And this is something, this is probably, I guess if, if there's a gem in here, a, a little glimmer of wisdom in this whole entire podcast, uh, it would be, it would be that it took me a long time to really come to grips with the fact that sitting there and worrying absolutely is the worst. It, it freaks you out. It's, it's stressful, so you're already starting to get agitated and the storm's not even there. And the worst part, or at least for me, was that it made it very, very difficult to try and sleep. I'd be lying in my bunk and my mind is just racing and it's thinking, oh, you know, what if this happens or how bad? Oh, man, the storm's going to be bad. All this stuff is going through my head and I can't sleep at all. And the problem with that is if you don't get good rest... Before the storm comes, chances are during the storm, you're not going to be able to rest because it's either going to be too loud or the waves are going to be too big, or it's going to be one of those situations where you actually have to spend a lot of time on deck, uh, which can be pretty cool from a uh, an observational standpoint because I love seeing these big waves rolling in behind us. Oh my gosh, it's, there's something so beautiful about it. But at the same time, it's also wet and it's cold. Uh, and that's where sort of making sure you get – you try and eat a couple of decent meals so that you're actually uh, – you've got some nutrition going on. Because um, you're, you're pretty much going to be eating out of a bag or a can throughout the storm. Um, and it might not even be hot. So I, I typically try and and doll it up a little bit, have a nice big dinner, get some good, good sleep – so that I'm well rested, and even if, even if I can't, if I'm having trouble sleeping, and this has always worked for me, all I have to do is be in my bunk and pull out a book and start reading it, and inevitably within 30 minutes to an hour, I'm typically going to be asleep. Now, if it's a Jack Reacher novel, that might keep me up, so I have to sort of pick my pick my books, uh, but. Uh all joking aside, it really it's so crucial to be able to go into heavy weather well rested and well fed. Um I think that's that's probably the, the best advice I have. So so now wake up the morning of Storm is approaching. Winds are already coming. I'm seeing high-level clouds. The winds have, are amping up. The waves are starting to amp up, and it's it looks like we got rain in the horizon. So the storm is coming, and it's coming today. Um, at that point, you know, uh, I'm just sort of hanging loose. Uh, I've done all my checks. I've done them two, three times now. I'll probably try and put together a very easy-to-access sort of snack bag, so to speak. Um, I like to have little things like beef jerky or cookies or some of the sweets, you know, the comfort food, as they call it. Um, have those available and easy to get to in that way. You can just toss them in the pocket because there's if, if you're going to go and have to go sit up on deck and get completely soaked with salt water and in the rain and all that, and you're going to have to do that for hours and it's nighttime and you just want to sleep, it's pretty nice to chew on a little chocolate uh, bar or, or eat a little beef jerky or something like that. Um, that always, always helps. Uh, I don't have any sort of thermos or anything like that. So if I want coffee, I got to basically make it. That probably would be a, a pretty good idea, um, to have on a boat so that you could actually go. Cause I, you know, with a lot of the the stuff uh, that Yeti makes, I'm not, I'm not huge into Yeti uh, (laughs) because it is really expensive, but I know that ice stays frozen and hot things stay hot for excessive amounts of time. So I don't know. I think it would be pretty cool. Like I said, I've never had this before, but um, I don't know. It might be kind of nice to be able to make like a big batch of coffee and go old school, throw it in a big thermos. And, uh, that way you've got it because there's nothing, you don't want to be cooking anything. You, you sort of have to plan for that as well. So I, I typically cans of ravioli or MRE bags. Um, if it's really cold and it's not too bad, I will try to boil water. Um, for some of the mountain house meals, because I really like those, I've always I I think they taste pretty good, regardless of what anybody else thinks. Um, but they they're kind of nice because it's a hot meal, and if you can just fire up some water, uh, two cups of it, boil it really quick, and then just dump it in the bag, reseal it, and then you're done cooking. That's pretty acceptable. Um, I know back in the old days we used to do hot pockets, which I couldn't even imagine eating a hot pocket <laughs> anymore, uh, at my age. But, um, gosh, we used to, we went through a gale off the coast of South Carolina on my first yacht delivery back in 2002, I think. And, uh, it was January or December of 2002, and uh, went through a pretty pretty bad gale, 45 knots sustained, so like force nine. Uh, we were on a 66 foot race boat, like a custom built, super super cool boat. If anybody's ever been to Newport, um, they've got I don't know. It, it was it was like the one of the first boats with a complete set of North sails sails that won the Newport to Bermuda race. Uh, it was called. Uh, Uh, It wasn't Contoura. That was the guy's other boat. It was uh, Kodiak. That was it. 66-foot Freres or something. I don't know. In any event, um, yeah, we went through that, and I just remember there were six of us on the boat. It was really rough, really wet. It was really hard to – we were – I'm pretty sure we must have been in the Gulf Stream or something. We were were not in the right place. Um, But in any event, (laughs) we – we just loaded up that oven with hot pockets and, uh, there were, there were hot pockets galore, uh, at any time for anyone that wanted them. And I ate a ton cause I ended up taking, uh, long shifts on the helm cause we, we were for reaching in that. And, uh, if you weren't playing it just right, because it was sort of a race boat, if you dropped off the backside of some of these waves, the, the pounding was insane. So it was all hand steering, up into the wave and then boom, turn away from the wave as you come back down because you want to keep that boat as connected as possible to the water so that you can't, you don't get the big drop and pound because uh, you do that enough and it'll rattle not only your teeth but your boat to pieces. Uh, and then, yeah, so at, at that point, pretty much good to go. I I will typically. Uh, try to do one last download of the weather just to get the most up to date one. Uh, cause I, you know, once the way I have things set up, all my electronics and everything go in this big Pelican case, waterproof sort of suitcase thing. And in heavy weather, all the electronics stay in there. The computer, uh, the only thing that I keep out is the in reach, but uh, computer, sat phone, all that stuff. I don't monkey with it. I get it. It's lashed down. It's not moving. Um, and that's, that's the way it stays. I, there've been times where I want to risk it and pull it out and try and do a, a download mid storm. Typically the sat phone doesn't do very well anyway, in those conditions. And, uh, I end up losing the connection. So it's not really, uh, not really an issue, but, um, yeah, other than that, you just sort of go. And I, I typically will spend, uh, most of my time on deck while things build up and just sort of deal with it, do any sort of downsizing of sales, because that's one of the things, as as these, as these the winds are building sort of steadily, and you know it's coming, I just try and stay a little bit ahead of the curve uh, as far as sales to wind ratio. Um, you know, the wind picks up a little bit, I'll throw another reef in. Wind picks up a little more, I'll... Change out the staysail for the storm jib, and I do it in little steps until I know okay we're we're getting into the real deal here. Um, I don't want to have to be going up onto the foredeck or doing any of this stuff. And there there's typically a point where I know, all right, we can go down to our, our most minimal sale, which typically for for mighty Sparrow, if I'm running with the storm is going to be the triple reefed mainsail and that's it. And I'm just barreling down, uh, barreling down the waves and, and going preventers on and yeah, just, just cruising. But in that situation, I typically will have the storm jib on, on the stay ready to be hoisted halyard, everything hooked up. It's just lashed down with one or two quick little sail ties. So if I need to, I can get up there. I can throw that sucker up. I can douse the mainsail, lash that down. I always keep one, one lashing line on the deck, just up by the mast. Usually it's about 30 feet long, just in case I need to lash something really fast. Other than that, the deck is completely clear and you crank back and you try to enjoy (laughs) going through a storm. Um, you know, it is, it is kind of scary psychologically. The buildup I find is is typically worse than what you actually end up going through. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those things where it's an event, and you do it's it's part of being out there. It's part of sailing, and it's not all bad. Bad weather is tremendous. I think to go through visually seeing seeing these big waves and the breaking waves and feeling the power of that ocean i you have to take some joy in it because if it's nothing but terror and scary and all you're thinking is the worst things are going to happen and the boat's going to sink and I'm going to die um you're missing you're missing something that's you're missing an event and you're missing um i guess I wouldn't want a person to miss out on the experience of going through. I mean, you've done your work, you've prepped, the storm is here, you're riding it out, you're seeing it, you're living through it. And then the storm is going to pass. And I think, I think that's probably the best way to sort of close this one out. And I know this, this podcast has been sort of rambling on and off. It's kind of hard to keep, (laughs) keep my brain focused. Um, but The one thing you can always, always count on 100% of the time and uh, a good friend of mine and sort of a mentor uh, once told me this and he said, all you have to do is remember that uh, the winds will always change. And that is a hundred percent fact. It will change and you will get to a point where the storm passes the winds ease up, the seas calm, and you've made it through. And then you have this great experience and you have more storm experience for the next time uh, you go through. And And that's sort of the thing that I like to focus on is knowing. And I, I actually visualize sometimes when it's really miserable out, I will visualize this this point in time and this this place on the ocean that all I have to do is get there. And it's somewhere in the direction that I'm headed. And as soon as I get to that point, that's when things get way better and we're all good again. And the, there's no need to worry because we've made it through. And I know that I'll get there. I just have to make it from where I am now to that point. And I don't know, for some reason that that helps me keep my spirits high, uh, try and enjoy it. I try to spend, uh, once, once, basically once that, that storm and everything, um, reaches sort of a fever pitch or or a peak. And I don't know, somehow you can always sort of feel it. I mean, also you're looking at the barometer. Um, I'm not, and I, I probably should have mentioned that I'm not, not totally going off of, Uh, computer screen. I'm watching that as soon as I know weather's coming in, I'm watching the barometer. I'm constantly clicking on it because those tell you the, the hard evidence of where that storm really is, where the center of it is and whether or not you're going to start getting, getting easier winds or heavier winds or, or whatnot. So, uh, I guess that's, uh, that's it. And then, then, uh, Really, the, the sad truth of it all is the storm typically isn't the worst part, at least for me, uh, having been through quite quite a few of them out there. My most hated, uh, uh, the, the part I dislike the most comes after the winds have, have died off because you're sitting in this slop of a sea that sometimes doesn't have any rhyme or reason to it. And if you're really unlucky, the wind completely dies, you know, the calm after the storm. And you can be bouncing around in 15-foot waves, which is miserable with no sails up because you're, the mainsail slats so hard that you're going to rip the track off the mast, or at least that's the way it is on Mighty Sparrow. And uh, those are the most miserable conditions. The worst part is you're typically like, really tired. After going through the storm and all that sort of stuff. And all you want to do is sleep, but the boat is getting rocked so hard that you can't sleep until the seas calm down, which sometimes take like a whole day, or the wind fills back in. Those are the <laughs> those are the times I could do without. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then obviously you go and check everything over and see what worked and see what uh see what didn't look for more chafe. That's probably a key. And actually that's probably the one to end off with. Always use that, that time after one of these storms has gone through to really almost, uh, judge yourself and judge the choices that you made. And you might find, oh, okay, well, these lashings started chafing through. I can see that. Um, or this, this didn't come in handy or this happened. Um, this thing came loose, so I need to do better next time. And mark that stuff down because if you if you have that in your logbook, I know for me a million times like, oh, I'll never forget that. Well, it's not, you know, every day that you go through a big storm or something out at sea, and maybe a month passes. And the next one comes up and then you scratch your head like, oh, what it wasn't there something that didn't work? And then you're just going to have to find out all again. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully uh, that was enjoyable for everybody. And uh, maybe, maybe you're able to uh, glean a little bit of uh, information out of there that might help you. Now, do remember it's uh, every boat is different. Every sailor's different. We've all got our own ideas and, uh. You know, he's got a, you can't take one man's uh, or one person's word for an entire uh, world of, of different boat designs and, and storm situations and every storm is different. So know your boat, know what you can do and uh, get on out there and, and punch on through it. All right guys, thanks for listening and uh, till next time.